Let us lift up our voices and praise the God who liberates us and calls us for peace and justice, who challenges us to live as people who are no longer prisoners or slaves, but free citizens of God's holy kingdom. Join me as we come before God in prayer. Lord of all ages and of all nations, we know that this is your voice that calls us to love, to share, and to take care of each other and all creation. 
Forgive us, Lord. We allow fear to silence us and at other times make us noisy gongs without substance. Forgive us, Lord. We have been given freedom through your blood, and yet we wear the shackles of hate, jealousy, pettiness, and self-privilege. Humble us, O God of the poor, and let us acknowledge our own spiritual poverty instead of judging others. You have welcomed us to your table, gentle Savior. We pray that we might extend the same grace to a hurting world. Amen. People of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Christ be with you. As we greet one another, children grades five and under may meet their Sunday school leaders in the back of the sanctuary, and sixth grade is gathering in the youth room. Let us greet each other now with the sign of peace. many people to welcome. Today is a very special day. As you know, we are all kind of sort of dressed for it and we're all ready to celebrate and we've already started our celebration by being together in worship. And what a pleasure it is to be together. Today we welcome also a very special guest conductor, Tony Kaysen. So we thank you for somewhere over here for joining our team. Uh, it's really wonderful to have you here with us today. And you all know that there is a celebration about to take place in a couple of days, on Tuesday, in which we pay tribute to the birth of our nation. What you may not know is that we have a very special member who is celebrating a birthday today. It's his 103rd birthday today. And that is Woody McAndrews right here up front. Isn't that wonderful? What you may not know is that the 19th, when the year that Woody was born, 1920, the 19th Amendment was passed, giving women the right to vote. So thank you, Woody. 
And on November 2nd, the first commercially licensed radio broadcast was heard from KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Woody. <laughs> so, we thank you, Woody, for being born and for being you. And so, how about a happy birthday for Woody? Would you? Happy him here. Now on to a few more things that are important but mundane compared to that. But just a, a couple of things to make you aware of that are happening in the life of our church. Starting on Sunday, July 9th, the choir goes into summer choir. Now summer choir is very special because they don't have any rehearsals on Thursday nights. They don't wear robes and they get to go out and sit in the congregation after they sing the anthem. It's a great chance to try out the choir or simply sing without the commitment of weekly rehearsals. So you couldn't ask for anything more than to come and just give your voice. They meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings to warm up and they rehearse their anthem that they're going to present at 10.30. How many of you would just love to sing in a choir? How many, how many of you would not be welcomed to sing in a choir? <laughs> Okay, but we're all welcome for the summer choir. So anyway, the, I, I also want to let you know that the Thursday morning men's Bible study is now the Wednesday morning men's Bible study. And that's how they're going to stay forever. So they, they're meeting once a month for the next two summer months. The next meeting will be on July 12th at 6.30 a.m. at the Loma Santa Fe Country Club. All men are welcome. And Pastor Jack Baca will be leading that discussion. So now, as the psalmist reminds us, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Let's continue to worship God as we bring our tithes and gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Father God, maker of all things, from sea to shining sea, you've made our country great, our village a wonderful place to worship, our family a home. We give you all the glory, and where we are weak, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would direct the way. Teach us how to be more loving, more thoroughly loving, and to truly be all about our mission, following Jesus for life. Help us to really internalize the meaning of the Lord's Prayer as we say it together as a family today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. 
A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Next, we have a reading from the Gospel according to Mark. The disciples and Jesus came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains. But the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man possessed by demons sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. And now a reading from the letter to the Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. For not only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become enslaved to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The word of the Lord. In 1999, my teenage children and I went to see the first Matrix film. I think there's, they're on like Matrix 21 by now. It's a film with Keanu Reeves, and it's a film about our civilization replaced by sentient machines, a lot that's being talked about today. But I remember watching in fascination and exclaiming in the middle of the film, oh, I see what they're doing. This is actually based on the Bible. This wasn't the first time I had seen a connection with movie scripts or lyrics with biblical content that, according to my children, no one else seemed to notice or, uh, or report on. 
For example, when my 13-year-old son, Matt, had asked me to, one night to interpret the lyrics from an album of Iron Maiden for him and his friends, he was mortified when I informed him that they were basing their songs on apocalyptic literature from Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. <laughs> the disappointment in his anti-heroes that I crushed his teenage angst with that comment. And I told him it wasn't my fault that they didn't have any original lyrics. <laughs> But back in the theater, Matt and Sarah were once more embarrassed at this latest outburst. They both agreed that I saw the Bible in everything I heard and read and that I seriously needed to get some help. <laughs> But it wasn't true, and I know that you'll back me up on this once you hear the story. Take, for example, the final scene between the hero and savior, I might add, of The Matrix, Neo Anderson, and Mr. Smith, who is the evil machine who is strangely embodied by a slender man wearing a suit, sunglasses, and a fedora. This scene demonstrates how the machine seemed to hold all the power except that it failed to absorb the ability to fully understand what it means to be human. Ms. Mr. Smith doesn't understand love and freedom and truth. And so he is very dismissive of what he calls the small, pointless lives of humans. So in the final battle scene, and it is a battle scene, Mr. Smith finally has Neo in his grips, and he's shouting at him, you can't win. It's pointless to keep fighting. Why, Mr. Anderson, why must you persist? And then... Neo responds, because I choose to. The crowd goes crazy. Everyone jumps to their feet. We humans have the right to choose, we say. Screen goes black, curtain goes down, and once more, we are the victors. Because of the unique, holy design of the one thing machines can't have, free will, the right to choose, the freedom to choose. So there's many forms of freedom that we can talk about. Just look at the first two stories that we read today. Freedom from physical slavery, as in the case of the ancient Hebrews in Egypt. I'm going to send you to free my people. And freedom from the demons that cause you to lose your family, your future, and make you howl at the moon as it's demonstrated by the story of the Gerasene man. There is a type of freedom that we'll be celebrating on Tuesday, freedom to make choices about who governs us and participate in our own governance. And we'll celebrate this important freedom with parades and flags and fireworks and tradition. Freedom, the idea, the promise, the hope, the reverence, Freedom seems to hold a value far beyond a concept. It is held as a value worth fighting for, a value worth dying for. But friends, there is a freedom, a freedom that is the root of all freedoms, a freedom that extends far beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations, 
And there was one willing to die for it, for our freedom, for us. It's a unique and paradoxical freedom in which we are told in the same breath that we are set free and then we're told to enslave ourselves to each other. How is this possible? What does this mean? How can you be enslaved and be free? I think there is one small word. It's always the small words. It's small words like for, F-O-R. It's small words like but, B-U-T. It's small words like the, T-H-E. It's always the small words that makes all the difference in understanding. And in this case, it is the word to, T-O. What have we been freed to? Freedom from the constraints of bondage must be freedom to a particular purpose, a path, a direction. Where does it lead us to? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And you know, honestly, it is a wonderful sentence that is conveying in a very few short words, not only a gospel claim, that it's Christ that has set us free. But within it, I wonder if you hear that, is a missional clause that our lives and actions are to reveal that freedom. That we can't, we can't continue to act as slaves to everything else if we have been set free by Christ. In the first 14 verses from Galatians, Paul is saying, unequivocally that freedom is to love for Paul the harsh debates that are going on uh, among the uh, Galatians the infighting among the young Galatians were outward and visible signs of a continuing and ongoing enslavement the Galatians were listening to false teachers that were leading them to believe that to truly follow Christ they had to be circumcised they had to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus now don't judge them too harshly because this propensity to erect human hurdles to fellowship with the divine has been carried out by all religions including Christianity for all time and even into modern days. We seem to have a need to control others. We need to control others even in their belief and practice. But the fact is we are free, all of us. And I wonder what hurdles to Christianity that we put up. What have we erected? What more do we demand from a person than that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? What do we say, oh, that's all well and good, but until you, what is it that we put in front? Paul is speaking directly into the hearts of all of us who would keep someone away from Jesus enslaved in doctrine or ritual or tradition, not based on biblical standards, but rather based on our preferences and our sensibilities. But Jesus says, no, no, you're free to love each other and to love me. They were allowing debates over circumcision to give precedence over the law of loving one's neighbor as themselves. Love is the way that freedom in Christ expresses itself. That's how we know it's freedom. 
So that, in a way, that's the most beautiful picture because the test of real freedom, the, the ability of, of freedom is to be able to love each other without judgment. It's the ability to not think of ourselves first and to stand back. That's the test of freedom. When we're not enslaved to our own ego, to our own need, to all of these things, for us to be able to let go of that, to be liberated. That is the mark of a true free person. Freedom in Christ makes radical, loving service possible. And it fulfills the will of God for human relationships. Freedom to love and serve in the manner of Jesus is God's intention for all humankind. Freedom is a gift from God given through faith. Now there's one commentator that said that Paul is reminding us that Christ's perfect freedom engages us in a particular call. That call carries obligations to neighbors as well as to God. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a call to invest ourselves in the community of faith, to put up with the sandpaper of fellow congregants' wearisome ways against the rough edges of our own unholiness. That call impels us to prepare our hearts for worship so that we can be fed or, or else we hunger for that worship. To exist in community with such openness and such generosity that our neighbor's well-being is part and parcel of our own well-being. I recall an incident at a church where I was serving at one point where one member of the congregation carelessly hurt the feelings of another member in that congregation. I'd seen it before. I'd seen it happen before. I don't recall the details of this one, but I could see that if left unresolved, this would end the friendship and it would cause a serious rift. The next Sunday, I found the one who had given offense waiting anxiously on the front steps of the church, his choir robe billowing in the morning breeze. It was a choir member. <laughs> I noticed and I wondered when the offended one showed up, she got out of her car and walked towards him. He stepped forward and he held out his arms and he offered an apology. She forgave him with a brief warm hug and they remain friends to this day. Now why would I remember after all of these years such a small, maybe insignificant moment? I remember the incident because of the readiness and the promptness and the sweet humility that it took on the, on the part of that person to make peace. And sadly, I remember because of its rarity. We in the church can be so quick to judge and condemn and criticize, to act re recklessly, especially with each other. Over the years, I've seen it happen on church patios, in parking lots, in meetings, in events, even in worship. Sharp criticism where suggestions made in love would have sufficed. A lack of grace or civility, a demanding attitude, a decision made to leave and abandon a faith community because of some slight by somebody 
whether it was real or perceived, with no effort for reconciliation. I can remember sharing with a colleague of mine years ago that one of the greatest pains that I experienced in the 44 years of ministry was how people could leave so easily and never say goodbye and never come to, to my office and sit down and say, we've had some good times together. You buried my mother, you baptized my child, but never a word as though we didn't matter. And we do that to each other. And, and I wonder if we can't treat each other with love and respect and provide a little bit of mercy and grace when we stumble or we forget something or, or we're totally clueless, what are the chances that anybody has outside of our fellowship? I think sometimes we've tried so hard, with good reason, to correct and define the idea of neighbor as a global relationship, which it is. But sometimes we've tried so hard in correcting that that we've forgotten that sometimes neighbor simply means the one sitting next to you. I remember this small incident because Christians are called and charged with giving and receiving this kind of forgiveness. And to see such Christ-likeness in this action, this person holding his arms out and waiting for that, just that small hug, and not demanding but giving, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It just hardened my soul. Because the church, you see, is the people of God. It's us. And the church is the people of God has been called out of slavery into freedom. Slavery of grudges, we've been called out of that to freedom of forgiveness. From sin to salvation, from, from despair to hope, from darkness to light, from an existence centered on death to an existence focused on life. Remember what the Deuteronomist said? Choose life. When we think of the church, when we think of ourselves, it's important that we think of a body of people traveling together. We have to envision women and men and children of all ages, of all races, of all societies, supporting one another on our long and often tiresome journey to our final home. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. The scriptures remind us that the whole law is summed up in a single command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what has to happen is as simple as Paul's brilliantly clear call to forget everything else but Christ to forget the 662 laws, to forget all, that, all of our ritual and tradition and center your life on Christ. And when we do that, when we do that, we become free. Our freedom in Christ is not evidenced by results, but it's evidenced by our character by the transformation that the Holy Spirit has called and come and willingly made in our lives. As Paul lays it out a little further down the chapter, 
Our freedom is shown not just by what we do, but by the fruit we bear. Are you a person that wherever you go, there is love and joy and peace and patience? Does your life bear kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? We may all be working on all of those, but those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are the gifts and the life transformed by Christ. There is no law against such things, opines Paul. When we are interiorly free, in free inside of ourselves, we call others to freedom, whether we know it or not. Freedom attracts wherever it appears. A free man or a woman creates a space where others feel safe and welcome, and where others want to dwell, want to be in that space. To be honest, our world is full of conditions and demands and requirements and obligations that we often wonder what is expected of me in this setting. Maybe you wondered that today when you came. But when we meet a truly, a, freely, a truly free person, there are no expert expectations. There are only invitations to reach into ourselves and discover, to discover there our own freedom, where true inner freedom, holy freedom, is, there is God. And where God is, there we want to be. This morning, all are invited to come and enjoy the freedom of this table. Our Lord is here, and our Lord is the one that presides at this table. We are a body of people, after all, traveling together of all ages and races and societies. And we're traveling together on our long and often tiresome journey to our final home. But today and in this moment, we offer you a moment of rest, a moment of peace, a moment in which you can drink living water and eat bread of life. On the very night of his betrayal, our Savior Jesus took the bread and blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he poured it. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. My friends, every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of a risen Savior until he comes again, and he will. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.
please pray with me. God, I'm not sure how we could thank you for the gift of freedom, except to live as free people, to come to you freely and surrender all that we are so that we might be enslaved to each other in love. But thank you. Thank you that in this grand enterprise of love, you have seen fit to come and walk among us in Jesus. That you would not abandon us and leave us alone, so you let an indwelling of the Holy Spirit be with us still. Thank you. We thank you for common elements that become something that we don't understand, a mystery. Thank you. We thank you for all things that were, all things that are, and all things that are to come. And we raise these things in your blessed name. Amen.
Hey, do you like barbecue? <laughs> That's where we're headed after the service. So I hope that you'll stick around and join us. But leave this place as free people. You are no longer slaves, except to love and to each other. And may the love of God and the peace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.